episode 42 of the Matt and Matt OCL Trains podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Zizuha, and with me, as always, are my friends and co-hosts. Uh, co-hosts, go ahead. Uh, uh, Matt Rochford and Johnny Nugent. How are you guys doing? How you doing, man? I am doing well, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Johnny? Gets, it gets weirder every single time we mix this up. You know, that just completely <laughs> throws me off. Well... It's my topic, so you got to have my intro, right? Now uh, your topic. Your what? Absolutely. Next, gonna want your name on the podcast too, or something? Yeah, what it's the heck do you think this there. is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really that was, that was fun mixing um, up. Um, really? Because I just wanted my name on there twice. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's how it works. I don't know, maybe. Matt. Matt, we we didn't specify which one, so <laughs> maybe true. maybe uh maybe you got to do Matt, Matt, and Matt, Matt. <laughs> I like I like what Matt said, but I don't know if I like Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and anyways, we got a uh, really fun uh, episode tonight. As I as I said, it's my topic, and uh, I think you guys will really enjoy this one. But first, we're going to pass it back over to uh, Matt Ratchford, and he's going to uh, give us some introductory notes. All right, thanks, Matt Z. Just yep, just to cover some of our uh, usual uh, notes and um, other items that uh, are related to the podcast. Here, uh, as always, you can listen to us on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, and Amazon Music. And then, of course, uh, can't have our podcast without mentioning our Discord server, which is now, I think, over 160. And as far as I know, I believe we are now like the largest O-scale Discord server. Um, I have no statistics to back that up, but um, it feels like we are. So I'll just go with that. So there you uh, go. now uh, <laughs> we have a great group of moderators who always make sure that folks are treated with respect and keep our community safe. Um, it is super easy to join. It is absolutely free. All you have to do is click the link, which will be in the show notes. You will be taken to a site that asks you to review the criteria. Uh, basically, it just says, can you be a nice person? You check all the boxes and bam, you're in the discord. You're chatting with people. You're talking with people. Uh, and uh, it's a whole lot of fun. So if you have any questions about that or you're kind of hesitant, uh, just please uh, feel free to uh, reach out to us uh, on our Gmail account. And uh, we'd be happy to respond and, and let you know. So uh, secondly, here we have our Matt and Matt merchandise. Uh, I have a coffee mug with our logo on it. Um, and I'm a in the midst of ordering some shirts for the team here as well. Uh, but uh, you can have all kinds of stuff with the Matt and Matt podcast logo on it. So if you're looking for something like that, uh, again, the link will be in the show notes. And if you use our code M-A-M-P-O-D, you will get 10% off. Before we start, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Trains.com. If you are looking for a great deal on used and new model railroading products and want top-notch service, then please head over to trains.com where they have about over 120,000 products with new ones added every day. You can also sign up for their newsletter to see newly listed and newly discounted products and receive advance notice of upcoming promotions. Now, I've been using trains.com myself as well as my co-hosts, and we highly recommend them to our listeners. 
Now, if you're like us and you're always on the lookout for your next engine, join the Trains Rewards program to earn points on every purchase and unlock future discounts. And if you're an avid collector and want first dibs on new items, sign up for the private car membership to get early access to new listings, earn five points per dollar spent, and unlock great benefits like no questions asked returns. Now, guys, don't forget that uh, you'll need parts to keep your engines and cars operating smoothly. And to do this, Trains has a collection of 15,000 plus parts available on their website for any item you may need. And also, if you're interested in downsizing your collection or know someone who is unfortunately leaving the hobby, Trains also buys collections. So head over to sellmytrains.com to get a quote. And Trains makes it easy to sell your collection. Now, if you do plan on buying from them, please use our affiliate link, which is www.trains.com slash MMOP. You can also use our unique one-time promo code MMOP for $10 off a single purchase on the trains.com website. So if any guys know me and listen to this podcast for any length of time, you know that uh, one of my main big things I really enjoy collecting is the items of the 90s and kind of that whole history. So that's what tonight's episode is going to be about. However, I can't do it alone. Got to got to go with a good buddy of mine. So we got uh, with us. We have Sid from Sid's Train. So Sid, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. Figured if there's a '90s guy, it's got to be you, right? So in that case, yeah. uh, in that case, uh, cheers and let's go. <laughs> cheers. Okay, so the way we're going to structure this episode tonight is we're going to basically do a, you know, brief timeline as to where we were before this, the 90s time period itself, and then kind of, you know, what this is bringing us to, like in the modern times, you know, with the advancement command control and sort of things like that. And then we'll talk about the significant pieces in the 90s era. And then we'll also go through... uh at least Sid and I will go through, and Johnny and Matt, of course, too, will, uh, our collection of 90s items that we have. So I think this is going to be really cool. So are you guys ready? Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we'll start off with kind of, like I said, a brief introduction. So before the 90s and really into that, you know, let's go. We'll start with post-war because that's really when this whole thing kind of the transition really started. So you got to think, so post-war time period around, you know, 1945 or so was when you had Lionel making all of the items that they made. So back in the heyday, you know, you had your, a bunch of your F3s, a bunch of your steamers and all of that sort of uh, stuff. However, in the background and, more so in smaller scales like HO and such, you had companies that are making brass uh, scale items. And so the shift after the post-war period was into the MPC uh, period. And with this, what you had was basically the continuation of the post-war items, but you had sprinkled in there some few hidden gems that were scale or close to scale. So you had items like the train master and some of the Hudson's 
And I'm sure Sid will talk about this because he has a lot of Hudson's in his collection. (laughs) (laughs) He he knows a lot more about this part than I do. Just a few. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, so you had that. And then you get into the very late 80s. You're talking 88, 89. And that's when this whole transition really started. So Sid, if you want to grab a little information on the MPC side. Yeah, so with the MPC in mind, the best way to describe the MPC era is taking the um, post-war toolings and just the models and not really cheapening them up, but making them more affordable in a way because Lionel was just in a kind of a weird spot in their history because they weren't uh, their own company anymore. They were owned by Fundimensions. And they were they were just trying to be different. So some of the, what people really love nowadays and I, even back then is the there were these sets that looked like post-war sets, but they were painted in very realistic colors. And some great examples of that are the Blue Comet, the Alton Limited, the Crescent, the, the Chessie. Just there were all these sets and they were symbolizing real trains but they still couldn't do it completely because it was just they were still just the post-war trains but they were really close they were trying to get to that but they they weren't they weren't quite there yet they were still just a toy train company around that time but as you said there was that brass with the ho in the background and as they started to move uh towards the the mid to late 80s they started noticing hold up there's some of that brass scale stuff coming into the o scale market and when that happened there were some notable names in the industry like mike wolf the the owner and founder of mth and richard coon and neil young all these guys were noticing okay there's a shift we're moving from toy trains to scale models so they made a shift around like you said the late 80s to become model train companies not toy toy train model companies absolutely and i think you know in that frame of mind thinking you know these models that we had before you know the pre the post-war and the npc items like you said they were okay but once you realize what a you know scale brass piece is it's like, man, this is night and day the difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like you said, that's that's where the change really came into effect. So when you get into that, you know, late 89 to 90 time period, you mm-hmm. had companies that were working together, more or less. Yeah. So you had like Lionel and MTH, well, Mike Wolf at the time doing things. Then you had brass builders like Sam Hongza. And, and Weaver and Williams doing yeah. items like that. And then, of course, you had one of your Giants right-of-way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to I make a note about, um, funny enough, Williams. Um, Williams is like the original scale brass company in three-rail O-scale model trains. Everyone thinks that it's it's third rail or Weaver. And while they were in it, Williams was the first to really make an impact. He created the Challenger, the Big Boy, the J, the GS4, 
Huh, GS4. That's a that's a favorite of someone in here. Um, suck. Nobody likes those. <laughs> and <laughs> like in the cab forward, and they they uh, they made then really early on they made some like Dreyfuses and Hudsons that weren't as good, but they were the founder of like three rail scale brass stuff, and that's that's kind of what got mike wolf into liking it and that's when we just started having this this competition this this butting of heads in the diecast industry between mth and lionel uh because for those of you who don't know mike wolf worked for lionel uh, making the template stuff the the standard gauge and o scale stuff but he really wanted to do this scale stuff because he saw what williams was doing his his former boss um Williams and then he saw Weaver and then third rail was starting to become a thing around that time. And he was like, this is the future. This is where this, this hobby is going. It's not going to be toy trains anymore. It's going to be these scale models. And basically right when like 1990 hit, that's when there was this, just this transition in the whole industry of, of just model railroading in O scale at the least and three rail O scale. It was just, let's go scale. It took Lionel a little longer than the rest, but let's go scale. Let's make the most detailed products we could uh, by today's standard stuff from the the 90s. Um, it's not the most detailed, especially from Lionel and some early brass stuff, but that's really what, uh, what they were trying to do, just create these super nice models and like uh, you said before, Matt, one of the, the the first from Lionel and one of actually really the first model ever back in 1937-ish was the scale Hudson, the J1E Hudson or the 700E from Lionel. And uh, in Lionel's case, they, they, they brought it back in 1990 and that kind of got the, got the flow of things going. And from there, Lionel took off and... They started making more and more models, and as you know, Matt, I, I love Hudsons, and I've ha- I've had and have several Hudsons, and it's just it's really just an awesome model, and that's really what took it off for Lionel at the at the least. Oh yeah, without a doubt, and you know, talking about some of the early pieces, another one that I own. This is going back a little bit to '89. Was the b6 that was the reissue that they did and i got that from you uh funny, yeah. funny enough so thanks <laughs> yeah yeah but um yeah you know it's like i said to think that you know here we are and really these were i guess if you want to call it they were the original so i guess it makes sense to bring them back at the time and then it just kind of revolutionized what we saw after that so yeah with you know, Mike Wolf and Lionel working together, they made items like the PAs, the Shea, the Mikado, the Mohawk, and a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, like I said, started the ball rolling into these are scale models now. We're not doing the toy train thing so as much as much, but it's yeah. still going on. But we're focusing on scale, and that's where our business model is going to be. Yeah, it. uh it really was that and something that um i think i'll just kind of start this because when you think of three-rail model train or just trains in general you think of lionel so we might as well just start with lionel if we're going to just talk about the companies uh around this time period because i think we've kind of covered the history for the most part um 
there's always the, 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 the butting of heads and things like that, but that, that's kind of the history. And I think if we start with Lionel, that's kind of the, they were, they're, they're like the, the number one three rail model train company. And like you just said, they, they started out with like five or so, just, or a few more than that, maybe just scale models that really started their trend to, there was the the B6, the 700E Hudson, the T1, the Reading T1, the Mohawk, the S2 Turbine, the Shea, and the Mikado. And, and oh, I forgot you also said the Alco Piazum. Funny enough, all of those except for the Hudson and the, the B6 were actually designed by Mike Wolf. And that's when he was working there. He was like, I want to make scale models. So this is going to be like my thing. And the best example of his work at Lionel is the 4501 Mikado and also the Frisco Mikado because they kind of look like early MTH models. They have CAN motors in them. They have QSI reverse units. Sure, they have RailSound 1, but they, they really are like pieces of work from him in a Lionel box. And... I know you you own the Mikado. It's actually here and getting some work done by me. And I've owned a couple of those engines. I own the the 700E and they're all awesome models. And they just, like you said, they were the first. I have a couple engines on my wall here that are from the 90s. And I think something I need, I can't believe we haven't said this. Something about the 90s that just makes it so good is quality. Quality. Absolutely. Quality is the big number one thing about it. Even if things aren't accurate, they have quality to them. You can always paint something. You can always add a detail, but you can almost never add build quality to something without completely modifying it. And at that point, once you've modified it, it's not a stock product. It's, it's nowhere near stock. And some, it's just these engines from that time period are beefy. That's just a really good way to put it. They're beefy. They have these big motors, chassis, frame, just all of it. Really good design. And I think Lionel did a good job of that. And as they moved along through the, the 90s, they, they did a really good job. And I think probably the biggest thing that helped them was the introduction of command control. And if you want to talk about that a little, I know you and I both like command control, but command control, I think, was one of the biggest turning points and things that really made Lionel like move towards advanced technology and model trains and scale models. Absolutely. Uh, we can grab on that in just a second, but I wanted to throw on your quality comment. Yes, the 90s stuff, I've said this before in previous podcast episodes and in just general talk that, yeah. If you want an engine to do upgrades with, like Sid said, I have his 4501 that he's putting legacy in and you want an engine to upgrade with. That's what you want. You want an engine that'll that'll pull the house down, as our friend Tommy Z likes to say, you know, you need an engine that'll just you can't kill it. And that's what these 90s pieces are, whether it's MTH, Lionel, whoever. The quality is just bar none. You cannot get better than that. Mm-hmm. I agree. The, the pro- <laughs> you say pull the house down. That's the one thing from the '90s, mainly in um, MTH products. Lionel didn't have it to the later '90s, and I think Third Rail might. I think they did have it in the the later 
90s as well, possibly. But the Pittman motor, that that's like the number one thing that made these engines run so well and just be awesome runners is these big can Pittman motors. They're not they're not cheap. Like uh, there's another company that uh, made motors for all a lot of these companies called Mabuki. They're they actually still use them in some line L diesels or did in the, uh, the 2000s. And there's nothing wrong with them. They're just not very sturdy for big steam engines that need a lot of torque and power. And the uh, Pittman motors, however, did the job. They, they provide a lot of power. They were sturdy. They, they had these, these solid casting for the, like the outside casing and that, that alone, just like you could drop one of these things off the top of a building. And when it lands, it, it wouldn't, do anything to it it was just it was just super solid and that uh that was i think one of the main quality um points that uh made things so well i have to i have to mention this because this is always like things made in america are better lionel was the only one making stuff in america in the 90s everyone else was over in asia having um Sam Hongsa and Ajin and uh, Korean Brass, all the—they were the ones making the stuff. It wasn't—it wasn't made in American factories. Lionel uh, was the only one who stuck in America because that was just their thing. They—they—they they, they live by that, and there was nothing wrong with it. Their stuff was amazing as well, but it's not. Uh, there was nothing wrong with the stuff made over in um, in Korea. The, uh, the just the difference was the the mentality at the time. It was just super high quality great relations with the factories and because of that we got awesome products absolutely without a doubt you definitely uh, hit the nail on the head there but uh i i think this is probably a good time as any to drop into uh, the world of command control and kind of the starting evolution of that yeah so um, I, I can just start with that. Command control was a Lionel thing in team, TMCC specifically. There was, of course, in, in other different industries, there was DCC. But in three or LO scale, there was TMCC. And that was a Lionel piece of technology. They created it uh, with the help of Neil Young. And they had the company LionTech or L, uh, I think just lion tech i think it was their little company's name and they created command control and it allowed you to run your train from a remote that was in your hand it wasn't wired to anything and it also introduced um a new version of sounds for engines that were more um crisp detail like detail oriented like there were um uh, extra like I don't know what to call it, but uh, when you blow the whistle, it would sound different based on speed, not just um, one single tone like the older sounds. And that, that was actually something Lionel had over um, the other companies was the other companies didn't have command control until around like 2000-ish. And by that point, you're out of the 90s. But Lionel had command control from about 94 to all the way. They still have it, but they had it for about half the 90s. And that kind of set their products aside, um, control-wise and sound-wise. But uh, detail-wise, it depended on the depended on the model. That that's the one thing uh, I think you and I can kind of agree on is a lot of Lionel stuff was still very like kind of toy-like. It wasn't perfectly scale like some of the brass stuff. MTH 
all of their stuff was pretty much scale. Um, their Hudson, like they made the articulators. They were the first to make the, uh, the big articulators and die cast with the big boy in Allegheny. And <laughs> of course, Lionel literally copied them <laughs> and <laughs> they literally copied them. And, um, but yeah, command control really was a, a revolution. And it, I think it got, it got Lionel thinking more like when you're going to be, um, uh, running around, uh, oh, I see, um, around the, uh, when you're running trains around your layout, you want to allow, um, the people to see their layouts. And if you're going to see a cool layout, it might as well be a scale train versus a toy train. And I, I think someone else wants to talk here. I see, uh, someone's raising their hand. <laughs> I just wanted to kind of just dig in really quickly and just yeah. for command control. And, and it had a vast effect on, not only like the actual engines themselves, but the the layout as a whole, because, yeah. you know, before, if you wanted to run multiple trains or even like just two trains, let's just say you would need to set up all of these complicated power blocks, right, to get everything working. Mm-hmm. And now with command control, you don't you don't need to set up power blocks unless you want to kind of. Uh, you know, create power segments just for, you know, protecting your, your trains or just, you know, if you need to, uh, you know, have one track be more powered than the other, et cetera, et cetera, stuff like that. But for the most part, you know, you can basically run multiple trains. You can have trains just sitting on the track, right. In little sidings or on specific tracks and you don't have to worry about getting power to that track. Right. It's just like, that's fine. I could turn the power on and then I can address whatever train I want to run. And I don't have to worry about the other trains, obviously if they're on the same track, but, but even then you could run multiple trains with the same remote on the same track. And if you knew what you were doing, you could run them all day long and not have to worry about having accidents and stuff like that. Oh yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I was, I was, um, uh, I forgot the exact wording, but it was like, um, in one of like one of the uh, TMCC kind of like ad videos or something, it, it was basically like um, you, you can basically be become part like be in your layout. You don't have to be like just standing on one side. You can walk around. You can you can like get down low and see these cool shots of the trains running. And yeah, like you said, that that would make you want to change your layout because um, lots of the time people would design their layouts with like just like you're standing here. I want to be able to see everything. But if you can walk around, then why don't you make it so you see cool things when you walk around, not just in one spot? And uh, I, I, I definitely, as a as a younger kid, I enjoyed having that capability of putting a remote in my hand and just being able to walk around and just see the trains running by. Kind of, kind of piggybacking off of what Sid said there, in terms of the command control aspect, it really is liberating to be able to walk alongside with your your engine and to just be able to really immerse yourself in your own layout. It really revolutionized things because if you think about it, for the first time in the industry, you went from being essentially the dispatcher sitting in your command post to being the engineer on the, on the main line. And you really had the power of the entire layout with you and mobily, which is, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I remember when I also got command control and, you know, you can, 
you you have that little bit of a leap of faith when you want to see the trains running on the other side of the layout and you've got a standard transformer. You know, you leave it at a, what you hope is a good speed and hope it doesn't derail while you're at the other side or far away from the transformer. And with command control, you can you don't have, to have that worry and you don't have to, you know, oh, I wish I could blow the whistle while I was standing here. You can do that. Blow the whistle, crew talk, whatever you want. It's it's all in the power of your hands. Yeah. And uh, I, I think because of that, that, that again changed um, literally the landscape of layouts, people wanted to like create scenes. And because you have, you have a scale scene or very detailed scene, you, you want a train that goes through it. That looks cool. You don't want something that looks toy. Like you want something scale. And again, that came, that definitely came from the, the HO side or the whatever scales they were um, building brass models in previously. And when that came to O scale or three rail O scale, then the companies like Lionel and MTH, and the brass companies were like, we're going to do this. And they just created some fantastic models. And I think uh, we, we already mentioned some of the Lionel ones. The Hudson was probably the most pot, like common one all the way into the late 90s. And then with the introduction of, yeah, like the big boy and the, the, uh, the Allegheny, they kind of they wrapped up their like 90s run because Lionel really didn't have a lot of... Um, super scale notable models but it was really like the early ones and then as they went along stuff was kind of just eh, as they transitioned their ownership and things like that but um when we move on to the other companies there's a lot more to talk about with uh, mth and the brass companies for sure and you know you're talking about the additional command control i mean you got to think for the 90s i mean all this stuff really i mean whether it's command or conventional we talk about the sound systems and stuff in a minute you know this was hot stuff back in the day i mean bat rochford i I know that you were the only one out of this group here that was actively you know uh able to buy anything at uh that time so like i don't know if you have any experience with this stuff when you were you know walking through hobby shops and whatnot but you got any kind of experience with this stuff? Calling that out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I can rephrase that if you want. You're the old guy. Don't you remember? Matt? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I did. Remember when black and white was a thing? Did they have cars when you were a kid? Um, <laughs> it's it's funny you say that because when I was in my twenties, which would have been in the nineties which is, you know, late 90s, which is when Team CC or Command Control was around. I Unfortunately, I had kind of moved away from model railroading. Um, I was in it like in the early 90s up and, you know, it's kind of strange. I think I was I was in it until right about where Command Control started. And obviously I didn't really look into it, but uh, cause I was still doing, you know, like, you know, I had my transform, right. Pull the handle train moves around. That was fine for me. And um, no, I never got a chance to experience it. But if I think if I would have stayed in it when it, when it came out, I definitely, it definitely would have piqued my interest a whole lot more. Um, cause I didn't realize command control was a thing until like maybe in the, I would say the early two thousands experienced or had the chance to kind of find out about like command control with trains and you don't have to use a, a a transformer to pull the handle up and down and make things go around. Like you can actually like, you know, use this 
sophisticated equipment, uh, you know, some kind of command device, and you can just sit there with a remote and have fun and move around the layout. So if I would have known that, what I know now, who knows, I probably would have started in O-Scale a whole lot earlier than I did when I came back. So, um, yeah, that's a really complicated answer to your to your question. The the simple answer is, no, I wasn't around. Uh, at least I wasn't in O-Scale when Command Control came out. Gotcha. Huh? I, I, I really wasn't sure on, on that answer. So, all right. Well, it was, good. It was a good question. Yeah. Oh, good. Hey, we learn something new every day, right? Yep. So, but uh, so with Lionel, you know, you had their command control and, you know, I, I think maybe at this point, uh, I feel like maybe this was the start of their kind of innovative business model. If, if that makes any sense, like, you know, back in the nineties, you know, everybody else was conventional and we'll talk about this more in a second, but it seems like Lionel was just really on the ball with, you know, innovating and said, so what, what do you think on that? Yeah, I, I agree that Lionel's their thing nowadays is vision line that that vision line was created in the, the late to mid 2000s to uh, create brand new models with the most high tech features and smoke and sounds of lighting possible. And in the in the 90s, it, they, they didn't have crazy smoke or uh, any kind of crazy lighting features, but they did have sounds. They, they went from rail sounds one to two, to technically three, also 2.5. I totally forgot. There's 2.5. Um, there was Rail Sounds three, and then into Rail Sounds four. So that's a whole technically four generations, five ish generations of sounds, and that was just them trying to uh, move along, make the sounds crisper, add more sounds, crew talk sounds. Um, basically just adding more space and um, uh, I guess time to their sound chips so they could fit more on it. And they, they also like introduced um, in the, the later years, they had the fan driven smoke, um, which was like a big upgrade over the old puffer style from like the post-war era. And they, uh, they, they had some kind of cool lighting features with um, some ditch lights and some of the diesels, but th- that's about it with the uh, lighting features. But I do agree it was a time for Lionel to innovate and they they kept that kind of business model going through the whole 90s. And that's basically <laughs> their um I don't know if it's really their business model now. It's more of it's like a feature of their products. It's just them being the the, the best uh technology-wise with the most scale detail products. Um that's up for debate between anyone um some are good some are some could be better but yeah i definitely agree with that really cool and so talking about some of the other companies and i'll just kind of lump them into one kind of some here because they're all kind of conventional but we go to like companies like mth and some of the early you know third rail items that used qsi and that's quantum sound industries and they were a big a player in HO and some of the smaller scales. But when he got into O is when MTH uh, started using them and they have their own version of what, what we now know as ProtoSound. And with this, you had sound effects, digital recorded sound effects, just like kind of what Lionel had, 
but they were conventional in that it was the typical throttle up, throttle down, that that sort of uh, operation to the trains. And within this, you know, you had things like, like I said, digitally recorded sounds, so digital recorded whistles, bells, uh, chuffing. Uh, on the later ones, you had like air pumps and crew talk and passenger freight sounds, all that sort of deal. And said for the time, it was really hot stuff. And you know that I am a bigger player as anybody with this Proto one. So <laughs> this stuff is just nostalgia is all get out for me. And I love it. Yeah, I, uh, I love it as well. Um, it's um, uh, nowadays for me, it's it's uh, not really the sounds that just kind of that bug me. It's more the, the lack of command control. I like being able to run my stuff on my remote. And sure, you can use a power master or a transformer with the the, com- the command com- capability. But it's just that that takes more wiring and stuff. I, I I'd rather just upgrade it to something newer at that point but but i do agree the qsi <laughs> created some awesome sounds uh for both mth and third rail and weaver they were um they were a stock product in mth trains but they were actually an option in third rail and weaver and even williams trains you, you usually had to either check a box when you are ordering the engine or just send it to them kind of like if you were buying like it's almost like an option on a car you had to option it usually and mth had had usually the best version of it um proto sounds uh or proto one was usually the best version of qsi electronics at the time as they moved along they actually created um, the QSI two s- sound system and kind of set up with the boards. And then they created, uh, my favorite, the QSI 3000 sound system setup. Like the QSI was both an E unit and a sound system. So it was kind of cobbled together. And what that did was it, it created what I call transformer command control. Um, through various up and down throttle movements, bells and whistles and just direction like changing, you could address an engine with those up and down movements and you can move them. So you didn't need a remote. You could just use the transformer and they had an ID. There were also more sound features like water tower, water sounds being added to the tender crew talk, uh, blowdowns, coupler slack, all these all these different sounds. And there was actually only one company that actually optioned this um, from the factory. And that was um, a very, very small company, SGL. They made a one brass model. It was a Redding steamer, it was a Pacific. And it, it was really cool. But again, the company didn't really do much. But I think I think MTH kind of revolutionized um, the the transformer scale sound market and just in general they, they were they were pretty much like the underdog that was pushing at um, Lionel to to really keep going. If if it wasn't for MTH, Lionel would st- would have still been making. Um, just toy trains, but MTH really pushed at them after Mike Wolf left them, uh, Lionel and he created MTH and they started pushing at them and, uh, MTH products. Um, 
I, I would say they were they were probably more scale and pretty much better than Lionel products in the nineties. Uh, not really, uh, not totally quality wise. The quality was pretty equal, but it was really just in the scale, detailed part, and just the models they were making. There was so much variety. I hear that all the time in these old videos. Uh, you probably have heard that as well, Matt. It's just variety. All these old, older gentlemen saying like. MTH, they had, they had a Hudson and a Blue Comet and a set of diesels and another set of diesels and modern diesel, just all these things. And MTH really did a good job of creating this, this awesome market of trains for people to buy. And that pushed Lionel. And, but back to just the, the transformer and the sounds part. Yeah. Uh, QSI <laughs> is definitely a, a classic, uh, 90s product and something i i've definitely enjoyed um in my uh i guess more my teenage years when i could actually buy mth products and experience that sound system absolutely i uh completely agree and i know i know johnny he was the one with the task of the uh, early promotional stuff so what do you think johnny MTH for the 90s was, like Sid said, quite revolutionary in terms of the, the conventional sounds, um, really adding another line of like another level of dimension to it. And their their sounds back then were absolutely amazing. Um, one of the things I'm really jealous of Proto One that we don't quite have even now in, in, in 2022. Um, one of the things I really loved was the diesel crew talk. It, it was actually proper radio chatter with, uh, with everything in it. And that's something we've slowly been seeing out of Lionel, but that's, that's something I really wish we could see more often instead of the, the, the scripted kind of, kind of tacky almost to a degree crew talk. It was, it was proper railroad crew talk. And that was something that was really awesome. Um, I know I, I, I pick at, uh, at Matt Z for uh, for calling the the Proto One chuff a, a wet cough, but it it, it definitely was a, a beefy, <laughs> powerful chuff. And I think that maybe uh, one of the reasons for that, and this is maybe going back to the technology side, was that the boards and the amplifiers that were used. Oh, that, yeah. Like I said, at the time, this was the state of the art, the best you could get. And I think mm -hmm. that the that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. And uh, <laughs> I'm kind of a, a tech guy, and I, I I do know they used very beefy amplifiers. The the E units had like these huge um, uh, relays on them. You you always heard a click. Like it wasn't just this this silent thing. It was it was very beefy. And uh, yeah, the the sounds were were crazy loud there's there's this video of um from uh tommy z our, our guy on youtube and he uh he was it was just a proto one engine sitting there he was talking and then the blowdown goes off and the blowdown on these proto one engines is so loud you can't even hear yourself think it's wild and you heard you heard he heard it go off and he just started laughing because it's just crazy and yeah, they they definitely definitely sounded great. Um, one of the probably the most like there were a lot of common MTH like sound sets throughout the the uh, the nineties. They they used uh, reused a lot of the sounds, but I think one of the most uh, interesting ones and probably one of the most powerful actually was in the uh, 
the the GS4, um, Johnny. I, I know Johnny likes that sound set. <laughs> and I think was that in a promotional video? I don't I don't remember those videos at all. I don't think so. No, that wasn't. Yeah, but uh, I do remember that uh, our our buddy Tim Jack Wheelhan. Uh, he uh, he had the uh, part of the task was him actually doing the sounds for that engine. So if you listen to that specific engine, the sounds that are in it are directly from the forty four forty nine, and I believe that was the only engine from the time that they actually used full on recordings from an engine, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a really great sound set. And I, I well, I may not be the biggest proto one person. I do have a healthy respect for it. Uh, well, maybe I've been conditioned to like it. Maybe it's Stockholm syndrome because I've been friends with Matt Z for so long, but, um, <laughs> But but the GS4 sounds that they used in that engine is absolutely amazing. I still think hands down it's got one of the best whistles um for that for that engine and no scale. Nothing's quite been as close to that as maybe maybe the Proto 3 that came out not too long ago. Um but yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing. And the bell's accurate, the whistle's accurate, and the fact that you have the way that the sound clip works is that it instead of just starting at like a high tone or a mid tone, like all MTH standard whistles did at the time, uh, or, or now they do now, it went from a low tone to the high tone. There was a, a quill at the very beginning of it, which you don't get from any of the other daylight whistles um, in O scale, which is something I'm very envious of the Proto One. And while I uh, kind of touching base on what Sid said earlier, they're they're very sturdy upgrade platforms and, I think what said I've got like two proto proto one yeah. daylights that yeah. we've upgraded yep. or worked on. <laughs> yeah, you got two of them, and yeah. they're they were both just original proto ones. Funny enough, both just gutted, but um, yeah, they're they're very good platforms. Back just quality products and just just awesome. I Matt Matt Z and I use this word all the time. Nostalgia. He and I both. Um, he was, you were born in the end of the nineties. I was born in the two thousands, but you grow, you grow up around the time when that stuff was still relevant. And you, you kind of are just like, dang, it's just really cool looking back on the stuff and, and seeing, um, the stuff still work and just being able to compare it to what they're making. Now, the stuff now is definitely more, more scale. Literally we're talking about like nineties was all about scale the stuff now is definitely more scale and detail and trying to be as accurate as possible, whether it is, uh, who knows, but the, uh, the stuff from that, that time period, just, it has just this quality to it that just, at least for me is just rubbed me away where I just, I love it. Even if I buy the newest stuff in the world, I will always go back to just loving that stuff. And it's, that's the stuff that will outlive what is being made now without a doubt matt got something to say yeah uh, something uh, that uh sid had stated about just kind of how that older technology and those older models just have that kind of something about them and when i first got into back into oscale again it was all about getting the new thing right like oh, i want to get this new 
engine. This new engine is coming out. And I've seen kind of a, a shift lately, uh, a paradigm shift. You know, let's just throw really fun words in there um, that I'm starting to phase away or I shouldn't say phase, but move away from new stuff and really go for that older stuff. And I don't know what it is as well, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Team CC. Um, and uh, I, especially from the 2000 era, but I find myself lately really just buying older stuff and not buying new stuff. And I'm not saying that there isn't good new stuff out there. It just seems like there's a, a lot more for me out there in the kind of older engines uh, that were out in the, you know, 2000s or late 90s than there are new stuff now. So. That's just that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, Johnny, go ahead. Kind of going off of what Sid said about the the whole nostalgia aspect. I think a lot of us who who grew up around the the early two thousands uh, or like the nineties, one of the biggest parts, and it, it it'd be uh, I, I would never let myself lose this down if I never mentioned it. Um, TM books and videos was definitely a big, big part oh, of yeah. that. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of us grew up watching things like I Love Toy Trains, and I'm pretty sure they would try to to, to cram in as many Proto One sound effects in there as humanly possible, or as many early vinyl sound effects. Uh, you, whether you knew <laughs> yeah. it or not, you were conditioned to like those sounds. <laughs> Which uh, I remember when I when I started to get more into trains and get to talk to you guys. I, I never knew those sound clips were actually Proto One. I just thought they were generic, you know, sounds that they just dubbed in to to fit in. But no, they they were amazing, and they they definitely lent to wanting that imagination that you have of of a big, powerful engine roaring by, and it, it just made it even cooler. But yeah, you, you can't you can't be someone who grew up on TM books and videos and not have at least a little bit of nostalgia towards that stuff. Oh God, yeah. I mean, and and I, I was going to mention that too with the, you know, a lot of these early, you know, promotional stuff, whether it's MTH or even like, you know, some of the '90s videos like the Great Layout Adventures and, you know, the TM stuff. I mean, like I watched uh, I Love Toy Trains not too long ago, uh, the whole thing, and it was funny. I was listening to the clips, and I'm like, oh, I know what that's from, and oh, here's the whistle from my Hudson or or uh, Burke or whatever it is. It's like it's so cool to like be able to actually put those clips with an engine. Now I think that just really cool. And like I said, the nostalgia is just there in leaps and bounds. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, I mean, heck, here's an example of me having the nostalgia from those videos is um, when we went to York this year, um, one of the, like one of the earlier episodes of I toy trains is they'd have the, uh, the Noma talking station sound clips in there all the time. And, uh, and back when I was a kid, I, I, I loved that so much. I tried to like, I, I kept copying the announcements and I, and I would annoy my mother with it all the time. So it's, it's definitely nostalgia for me. So I, when I was at York, I bought one of those um, digital boards to that uh, you would put as a replacement for the, the old record players in those. And I, I know, Matt, you and I have the same idea of we want to mount that as a push button somewhere in our layout just so we can have a little bit of nostalgia, uh, just a button push away. Absolutely, without a doubt. I am. Um, I, w- I want to say one thing that just this came to mind. I am. Um, I'm currently working on installing newer electronics in an old '90s model from MTH, and 
that model is awesome. I used to own one. I just uh, had a had a lot of um, things to deal with at one time, and um, was kind of have been moving away from some conventional things. Um, also, knowing that there could be a newer model of that in the future, I might just buy that. But I, I was putting um, these new electronics in this engine, and um, with the new sounds, it, there's something about it. It's still just this there's a look to this engine as well. There, that's something else I, I have to uh, mention is I'm looking at it and some other things on my wall and something that MTH in particular, um, and like a few of the brass companies had is the silver rims to the wheels. on <laughs> And while people today might just hate that, it might not be accurate. In in many ways, it is accurate because out of a shop, a steam engine might have had those, and then just after like going down the rails a little, it probably gets covered in soot. But there's something about it that just gives it this kind of classy look. The stuff from I consider myself a high railer. I'm not a a, a scale a true scale modeler. I like the scale look of things, but I don't run my trains like super accurately. I don't, I don't strive for everything, everything to be 100%. And that's something that just embodies the past is just this classy look of these models. The paint jobs are also a little more glossy. They're, they're not as matte finish as some of the newer stuff. They, uh, they just have, like I said before, even with the look, they just have a quality to them that you cannot recapture today. Um, they just they stand apart from the rest, and just when I think of '90s, we were talking about Lionel before, and we'll probably go to the brass and companies in a few minutes here. But when I think of of the '90s, just MCH just comes to mind because they were the king in my mind. They they just embody it. They they just are '90s scale high rail model trains. Mm-hmm. I think you know. When I think of 90s, first thing I go to is MTH. And then after MTH, it's Weaver and right of way and people like that. But it's MTH is first. I mean, the minute you tell me 90s model trains, MTH all the way, hands down, that's just the way it goes. Yep, Matt, go ahead. Yeah. So either Matt or Sid, maybe you can tell some of our listeners out there where the term high rail came from and, and what it means <laughs> oh th- this just came to mind because um uh, you guys were talking about tm and stuff like that so there there's a there's a video from tm called the the lionel century video and it just talks about lionel's history through an entire century and it's crazy to think that that lionel's that old and they're even older now but there, there was a there was a section where i believe tom McComas was um talking about the T1, the Reading T1 from Lionel. And around that time is when that word or that, that phrase high rail became a thing. And what high rail basically means is the trains, the scenery and everything, even the track is all supposed to look scale. But because we run these trains on three rail track that and with these big flanges, the rails have to be high, taller than they should be. Uh, if these rails were actually scale, they'd be like half the height or even less 
than what they are now. And that's where that, that term comes from. It, it, it's high rail. The, the rail is literally too high for it to be scale. But in general, the idea is you have scale scenery, scale looking tracks, scale looking trains. And if you just forget about the third rail, just, just all that, you, you see a scale layout with scale model trains on it. Gotcha. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's a that, that's a good thing to note is I, I, I kind of use that term just all the time. And some, some people might not totally understand what that is. And uh, definitely, it's definitely a, a term that has almost faded away in the past, like five to 10 years, because there's a thing called um, three rail scale, which is high rail, but with even more detail than before. Yeah, and I think. MTH probably used the term high rail more than anybody. I actually yeah. don't even remember if Lionel even no. used that terminology or not. I don't think so. I, I think you are right because MTH would use that in their product description. It's either a high yes. rail version or a scale, <laughs> scale wheel version. version. The, scale, the scale wheel version was for the two rail track while high rail was for the three rail. I know. I remember that. I remember looking at, you know, getting back in and then and then looking at MTH's product page and being like, high rail is is that me? Like, <laughs> am I high rail? Like, I don't, well, I'm not scale. I must be high rail. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think that uh, when you were talking, when you were uh, given that definition, Sid, the only thing I could think of is our. Uh, uh, the uh, great layout, uh, MTH great layout video with uh, Tony Lash and the uh, narrator <laughs> talking about that. Like, that was, uh, it was replaying in my head as you were saying it. I'm yeah, like, <laughs> that's what I was using. I was using that video as a, yeah. and he, for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm from Maryland, and Tony Lash was a, a local businessman and and col- collector of uh, mo- uh, scale model trains in my area, and he. He, he loved the NW because he grew up riding on a on a Y6B with his grandfather. And he he was like the Mr. MTH of the time. His layout was super detailed. It used Ross and Gargrave's track, had crazy scenery. It was huge. I, I, uh, I think there was a phrase in the video of it, like one of the videos was it filled the space of like half the size or something of an average starter home. And it's just kind of wild to think a train layout takes up that much space. And yeah, he, he, uh, he was a great example of that high rail that, that, that term definitely became, was became apparent in the nineties. So that was definitely a nineties term and it's kind of faded away over time. But yeah, that, that's funny. I, I was definitely just kind of copying that. <laughs> yeah, I, I could definitely tell. I said it was replaying in my head, but, uh, all right. Uh, we'll, kind of transition away a little bit from uh, MTH and kind of go on to some of the brass uh, manufacturers, including uh, right-of-way. And I know that uh, you're really into them and I've, I've always liked them too. So why don't we go into that a little bit? I guess I'll start with just right-of-way since we were talking about that. Um, to make it just as quick as possible, right-of-way was a, was a small company that was ran out of Ohio and they were brass, unlike MTH and Lionel, who made die-cast models that were a zinc alloy mix in the shells. They were brass, so they were they were stamped um, tubes of metal that made these steam engines, and they added 
brass sheets in parts and little tubes to make all the parts. And once painted, you, you couldn't really tell in some cases. In, some, in other cases, like Williams, it was obvious they were like super shiny because they painted them with this, this super like crazy finish that was like baked on enamel. But right of way, right of way was like almost even in a way more revolutionary than MTH and Lionel and the sounds department and just technology and models in general. They created a line called scale plate models and they recorded their own sounds of real whistles. That was like the one thing they got down. They recorded real whistles in the mountains of Ohio and or I believe even on the Western Maryland Railroad and maybe the Cass Scenic at the time. I don't even know if the Cass Scenic was a thing, um, but they recorded real whistles and the whistles uh, based on the feedback on one of my engines. People, they, they sound about as real as you can get. They're very old. There's a lot of static and stuff like that. But they were really advanced and I open them up and I see these big sound chips and things like that. And they had constant voltage lighting. They had smoke units. They had four chuffs. They were the first company to put four chuffs in an engine from the factory. They, no one else had done it, but they put four chuffs and they, they knew that that was right. And they were just trying to create the most highly detailed models for the time sadly due to some weird uh weird financial decisions the uh, the company kind of went belly up and it just went out of business but they really they really made an impact on the industry and they, they were pushing some of the technology with the sounds and the detailing they create they created scale models true scale models uh, with the detailing and the great paint jobs and all of that way before anyone else really. Um, sure, Williams had made the scale stuff before, but right away added the more detailing and the sounds from the factory. And the one, the, the one kind of funny part about their products with the scale plate is they could all run on like, oh, 4254 track. And with the articulated, it was like Lion Master, where both sets of drivers articulated. So Lionel was not the creator of that idea. Um, they definitely uh, got that idea from, or that idea originally came from Right of Way. And uh, just through the, the early 90s, Right of Way made this stuff. And around the, the mid 90s, they kind of just went belly up. And I'm waiting for someone to mention uh, a certain engine. I, I've talked about this one engine forever. And uh, it's it's finally sitting on my wall. It's my it was my holy grail item. I could never find one that wasn't either dropped off a table or just was actually nice. So uh, I, I now own it, and it, it's a uh, CNO engine. It's a it's a Berkshire, but it's a Kanawa. It's a CNO Kanawa. It's not like like seven sixty five or like um, twelve twenty five where there are this. Um, I believe uh, a Lima Burke. They were they were different. They they had this really funky pilot with the headlight down low. The sand dome and the steam dome were flip flopped on top, and they just looked really mean. And that they were named after a river, um, and they were just really cool. And right of way made a model of it, and the whistle in it sounds like a true Sino whistle. 
in the mountains of like Ohio or Maryland or wh- wherever the heck it is. It just sounds really cool. And that, that model kind of, um, when I first saw it in a picture a long time ago, it just kind of hit me. And I was like, this might not be the nicest, best built model in the world, but it is just cool. It just rubbed me. And I was just like, I have to have this, the Kanawa. It's just an awesome engine. Right of way did a good, good job with that model. And they they did a good job with everything, but enough of me rambling on about uh, right of way. I, I'm like Mister Right of Way. I uh, I love that company to death. I uh, when you first uh, showed that right of way Kanawa, and you played the whistle. I mean that whistle screams. I mean that thing is fantastic all the way. It's 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 almost like where where was this and you know where is this in the modern stuff? You know what I mean? It's like yeah, just fantastic mm-hmm. all the way. Yeah, I love that model to death. All right. So with some of the other brass companies, I'll just kind of summarize this here. We have companies like Weaver and like we said earlier, Williams. And they were, again, making brass items. And like we said, for the time, they were just fantastic and really revolutionary. Uh, But real quick, um, I want to put this in here and then we'll kind of start wrapping this thing up. But in the 90s, we had another revolution more specifically with MTH and uh, it's a little thing that uh, us guys on the podcast like to uh, talk about. I think it's a subway. Is that what it is? Matt, help me out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a subway. So that's the place you go eat and uh, we're not sponsored by subway at all. So Mm -mm. uh, (laughs) Is not interested. We are sponsored by our own subways <laughs> that we run on our layout. Uh, there you go. Yeah, you could buy them from trains if you'd like. That's trains with a Z. They have subways. Yes, very they true. Do. Absolutely, they do. Subways. I thought but, that was just a bunch of runaway coaches. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. Uh, but uh, in any event, um, so in the nineties, this, this is the later nineties. So this is like nineteen ninety eight, uh, ninety nine, in that range. We had MTH that came out with not only subways, but also streetcars and trolleys. And what was nice about these was for the time they did the Chicago uh, subway set, which I know uh, Johnny, one of your buddies has, and I'm jealous of him for it. But uh, they made that for the New York, us New York guys. They made the R42 uh, subway set, which as nice as that one is, it's beautiful. The only problem with it, it's too short. The prototype R42 was actually the BMT uh, series cars, whereas the model is the IND or the smaller series cars. So it's a BMT shell on an IRT frame, so it's a little short. But in any event, the point I'm getting at was they had station sound effects in them. And what these did was when you press and held the bell button and you would hear the uh, conductor making actual station stops. And when you stopped it, it, the doors opened on whatever piece of the subway trolley, whatever the doors open, you heard passengers getting on and off, you know, the doors would close and the, the item would start right back up again. And it was kind of the beginning of the, feature now known as auto mode that are in the later model uh, items from MTH with their uh, newer ProtoSound 2 and ProtoSound 3 electronics. So 
it was really kind of cool to know that that was the uh, start of this whole, you know, subway style passenger sound was with the uh, 90s stuff, which is pretty cool. So uh, what we're going to do real fast and then we're going to start wrapping this up is I just want to highlight some items in our personal collection. And so uh, Sid and I and uh, Matt and Johnny, we can all talk about this. So uh, I'll let Sid start. <laughs> okay. The uh, So currently I, I used to own a lot more than well. I kind of still own the same amount, but I, I've exchanged and got rid of some items. But I'd say the highlight of my 90s collection, especially when I think of MTH, is my I have the Protosound 1 Blue Comet set. It it's uh it's a gorgeous passenger set. The engine is really stunning and I really love the way that engine looks. And that's probably like the number one piece I own. I, I have a few other engines. I have the um the Greenbrier, which is a very beautiful model. I love that thing to death. On the Lionel side, I have the remake of the 700E Hudson number 5340 and the scale freight cars and the Royal Chief cars, the red tin plate style. Yeah, rub it in, rub it in, why don't you? <laughs> oh, I will. Oh, I will. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I love, I love those as well. And, of course, with Lionel, I have more Hudsons. I have the Yellow Belly and the um, Commodore Vanderbilt and the cars for those. And then on the brass side, I pretty much just have right of way. I have um, a little Malay from them and then two Berkshires. I have the 765, which has since been upgraded to newer electronics. And then I have that Kanawa, that CNO Berkshire with that really awesome sound set. And for the most part, those are like the main pieces from the 90s that I have. And like I said before, they're all just really stunning models. They really uh, stand out from the others. And I definitely say that Blue Comet set is like the number one 90s piece that I own. Yeah, that uh, that Blue Comet is gorgeous. Uh, my grandpa's got that one and he's since upgraded it to uh, Proto 3, but the uh, just the look of that set i don't care what electronics are in it. you could you could have just the e unit in it that thing is just gorgeous beautiful beautiful set so uh, uh johnny why don't you go ahead with your items so i really don't have much in my collection in terms of 90s um sid and i kind of touched on this earlier they're kind of i use proto one mostly as a basis for upgrades so in terms of that um i have my war baby gs4 which was formerly a proto one daylight um i love that thing to death run it constantly uh, i also have another proto one gs that is currently in the works with sid and uh, another buddy of ours who's getting the paint redone on that um i do have one that's currently at sid's place which is a Class A, that was formerly Sid that he's upgrading from his will. Super excited for that one. And then uh, I've got uh, my, I guess, half Proto 1 engine. I, I don't have any full Proto 1 engines, but I have what I affectionately have dubbed the school bus, which is the uh, <laughs> the Union Pacific DD-40. Um, formerly uh, my our friend uh, Jason um, here in Chicago, it was his. So I got that home from a trade and... 
Um, originally the plan was to, to gut it and use it as a, a, a dummy unit behind, uh, the, the legacy FEF and any other new Pacific steam engines I decided to buy later down the line. But, um, Sid was like, well, we can just remove the motors. And he, he showed me the sound set and I, I fell in love with that sound set all over again. Cause it just was pure nostalgia for TM. So I was like, yeah, you know what? Take the motors out, keep the sounds. And, and it is, uh, being a terror on my layout ever since. But yeah, those are, those are my, 90s items that i have in my collection very cool how about you matt all right so starting with me as far as protosound one goes i did own the rail king pioneer zephyr set uh which i don't own anymore but that was probably the only protosound one i had and i actually liked it a lot the, the sounds were very cool it is the only time that mth actually did a rail king uh, or slash semi-scale Pioneer Zephyr. Uh, they never remade it. I waited. Now I was in MTH for a long time. I waited for them to <laughs> to make another Rail King version for the longest time. Like I, that would be the thing. Like in the catalog, I'm like, all right, new catalogs coming out. Gonna have that Rail King. I Pioneer Zephyr. Like I think I even reached out to them. Like I went on their Twitter page and I emailed them. I'm like, please come out with a Rail King. Your Protosound 2 or Protosound 3 Pioneer Zephyr, but uh, uh, never came to fruitation. So that's all right. Um, as far as Lionel goes, I did purchase a few train sets in the 90s. Uh, I had a, uh, these were sets. So they were, you know, an, an engine with uh, rolling stock and then uh, some track and, and a transformer. So I had a, uh, a Union Pacific steam engine with rolling stock and then um you know shocker i had a, a santa fe uh f unit with uh some passenger cars too Ooh. same kind of set it's like that big rugged 027 gauge sets that they had so um i purchased them both in the 90s and i still have them today that's how the santa fe love started huh Santa Fe <laughs> and, Un- and union pacific oh uh, man uh, double whammy gee, you know <laughs> I, I, I didn't I didn't uh, run away too much from my roots, it seems. But uh, yeah, as far as 90s goes, that's probably wraps it up for me. All right. Then lastly, for me, I've got, you know, a kind of an assortment. And, you know, I think with the 90s, you know, it's good to have a little bit of everything. So you can kind of have a little bit of taste with, you know, what was all available out there. So I basically only have MTH in line now. However, I do want to get some of the true brass stuff. Like I do want to get some Weaver and of course some right of way stuff as well. But in any event, I got a lot of proto on steam. I got the 765, the Hudson, the J, the G5. And I love all those engines. They're great. Uh, I also have the, Trolleys, like I mentioned before, I have two PCC streetcars. Then I have the Brill uh, trolley. And then on the Lionel side, I have the uh, reissue of the B6 from 89. And all amazing engines. You know, I love them all. They're just fantastic. Like like we said, for the time, they're they're just, they're great. So, but uh, I think on that note, that's going to wrap it up for this one. Uh, guys, you have any final thoughts? Uh, I'll go first. Um, this was uh, this was a fantastic episode. I really liked uh, you guys kind of like talking about 
course on one and the late nineties and how it affected uh, MTH and how that had a drastic effect on the future of model railroading and, and the kind of the avenues that it went down. Um, you know, you guys obviously have more knowledge than, than me on this. Um, again, you know, from what I said before, I don't have that many uh, 90s pieces. Uh, however, uh, I am a big fan of MTH. And, I, you know, I've watched plenty of videos from you, Matt, and you, Sid. And um, I just love your protosound one uh, videos like i'm impressed like i think i think i was really impressed with your blue comet sid um when it was uh when you had yeah. a video on and i was like wait wow that's protosound one i'm like <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and not just the sounds but mm -hmm. even the performance of how it ran yeah like i was like super impressed i'm like mm -hmm. that that looks really good that sounds really good like i would if I didn't know, I would have guessed that was like Protosound too. Yeah. So that's the kind of effect it had on me. So yeah, just um, really, really impressed with um. I like kind of all, all anything really, but uh, that older '90s kind of early 2000s stuff, man, that is that is definitely the era for me. Yeah, no, it was it was a great episode. I really, really enjoyed hearing you guys go through the history, kind of just parroting what Matt just said here. Um, it, it's a very important part of the history for O Scale, and we would not be anywhere close to where we are now without the technology advances and for the push for scale. Um, we we owe a lot to that, and the more uh, as you guys already know, the more I've talked to you, Matt, and and to you, Sid, that I've developed a, a love and appreciation for for that period. And maybe who knows, maybe I'll add some more '90s to my collection. Uh, I know Matt Z will pressure me into it at some point, and if not, Sid, I know your technological abilities will probably lure me into doing so eventually. <laughs> yeah, I um I enjoyed this. Th thank you guys for having me on and. I've, I've, I've been on here before and for my little interview, but yeah, I enjoyed this. I, I personally am an advocate for stuff from the nineties. I, I don't for a little while, I would say like, sure. Proto one is the best. It's, it's not really, it, here's really the, the thing that it comes down to for anyone. The stuff is not good because of the technology in it. Now that's not why it's great. That's just like an extra like tidbit or feature for us who just want to like go back in time and just kind of relax and just just understand what it was like. What what it's all about now is just the quality. A, a proto. I, I I keep using this this um this kind of statement. I I tell people like hold one thing and another thing in another hand. Like hold two engines in 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 your hands and then drop them both and see which one survives. If you were to do that with like a Proto Sound One model versus a newer MTH model, the Proto One would pretty much survive, and it, it's pretty much the same for Lionel and stuff. It's 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 not really just like the falling aspect. It's just the fact that they're just so well built; they'll they'll just run through anything. The electronics don't really die unless you do something crazy, like leave an old battery in it or or short something out. They can usually be fixed, and the nineties just, you were saying this, Johnny, they just mean a lot to this hobby and where we've gone. And I, I definitely think, um, 
people should take more of a, a look at what's going on um, with that stuff because it's kind of it's kind of over time going to become the the post war stuff. It's going to be the stuff that's twenty, thirty, forty years old, and it still runs for the most part. Sure, there, there's always going to be a capacitor or something that goes bad, but for the most part, the stuff will always run, even if it means just maybe a new piece of electronics in it or something like that. I just think they that 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 chapter of this hobby's history means the world to me and just means a lot to where we've gone now. The Matt and Matt O-Scale podcast would like to remind this is not actually an advice to drop both your engines on the floor. This is just meant as an example. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All rights reserved. All rights reserved. <laughs> yes. Do not drop your model. I use that um, as, and as an example for quality versus not so good quality. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I, you know, I completely agree with uh, this whole 90s thing. You know, it, it really is, you know, the second renaissance, as we like to say, of the train hobby, you know, looking at the scale items and thinking, you know, this has paved the way for the last 20, 30 years of what we've been seeing. And I think that is just remarkable. And Johnny, we're going to get you a stock Proto 1GS and you're not touching it. I'm going to hold you to that. But uh, you can't stop me. Oh, sure, I can. What if <laughs> I buy one? You can't stop me. Sid, now we'll find a way. <laughs> I'll paint the top of the pilot black. You, you can you can make any detail changes to it. You just gotta leave the sounds. That's all I ask. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, in any event, Sid, I really want to thank you for coming on tonight. I you know this '90s thing. I couldn't think of a better guy to give him a call than uh, you. But uh, well, thank you. Yeah, that was this was a lot of fun, and who knows? Maybe we'll we'll do another something or other with you uh, down the line here. But sounds uh, good. Oh yeah. But uh in any event here, uh we'll go ahead and uh do the social media plugs now. So uh, Sid, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on YouTube. My YouTube channel is Sid's Trains. You can also find me on Instagram, uh Sydney's Trains. Uh and then uh, if you if you're ever looking for uh, me on the OGR forum if you're on there just sids trains as well uh there's not really much on there just maybe you look through my topics if you're ever looking for like um technical things or questions i may have asked in the past but those are the places mainly on um on youtube and instagram if you want to keep track of what i'm doing uh maybe contact me or just just see what what's going on with uh me and my layout my working on the model trains and what i'm doing in the hobby that's where you can find me uh, matter uh, yes sir you can find me on youtube at west chicago model railroad i'm on facebook under the same name and i'm also on instagram under wcmrr um, also in our discord server from time to time uh, posting pictures and talking with you fine folks out there mr scripted go ahead it's not scripted. It's just usually really, really the same. 
<laughs> Rambo, let's go. All righty. Well, you can find me on YouTube on Audemus, A-U-D-A-M-U-S. You can find me there screaming at inanimate objects, getting hit in the face with boxes, and occasionally I'll upload a video about trains. You can also find me on Instagram at Audemus underscore trains and on Facebook with the same name. Uh, you can also find me on the Matt and Matt Discord server. I'm usually scrolling through the chat, posting a question at work whenever I'm bored, and uh, I'm in the calls if you ever want to chat. I'd like to give a shout out to our mods, Maddie C and Sean. They've been doing a wonderful job. And if you want to talk to fine folks like them, meet us up on the Discord. Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, those guys and all of, all of the mods and really everybody on that server, they're all great people. Yep. So uh, for me, for me, you can find me on YouTube under Matt-Trainlover9943. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under the same name on Instagram as Matt's.Hobbies. And like Johnny said, you can find me on the Discord server. You know, usually I'm editing a sound set somewhere in there, but, you know, we have our fun. But, uh, you know, so I really, uh, I really uh, can't thank, thank all you guys enough. This has been a lot of fun. And, hey, you know what? Taking the driver's seat wasn't too bad. Uh, maybe I'm not very good at this. I don't know. Matt, oh, Matt will have to give me the full rundown. But in any event, uh, yeah, go ahead, Matt. Just one last thing Um, on our last episode uh, with uh, Angela Trotta Thomas, uh, we had a new segment we were going to plug and that was our, Oh, I forgot about viewer viewer mail or viewer mail segment where you guys would send in questions or comments. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, we did not get any comments. So, Uh, or any email so everybody out there, please uh, check out the email in the show notes and uh, send us an email or if you want, send us a review. Uh, go on. If you're listening to us on uh, iTunes or I should say iTunes. Jeez, where am I at? Uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, there's a way to leave uh, a review and you can put a comment in that review. And if you leave us a rating and a comment, uh, I will read every single comment uh, that is made up and from now until our next uh, episode. So please, um, you know, any of the, you know, social media apps that we use for podcasts uh, where you listen to us, please go on and give us some feedback, uh, leave a review, leave a comments and let us know. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Definitely. Uh, any feedback is really well appreciated. And uh, but with all that being said, uh, everybody, uh, Sid, Matt, Johnny, really big thanks to everyone and take good care. Good night. See you guys. Good night. All right. Uh, this, oh, this may be multiple takes, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how we go. <laughs> <laughs> right? You haven't even started yet. I know. I know. I just put it just just putting it out there. Okay. All right, here we go. Ready? Ready?